Hello everyone, welcome to the second edition of the Four Lads Had a Dream podcast. My name is Stephen Clifford, I am your host. Thanks everybody for joining us once again. With us this evening is Evening Times Herald and Sunday Herald Group Senior Sports Writer and regular guest Mr Chris Jack. Chris, how are you tonight? Hi Stephen, all good thanks. Also joining us tonight, he was supposed to be here on the first episode, but he was watching more Rangers youth. Um, Spates and Bear from Twitter, who is Willie Irwin to everybody. Willie, how are you tonight? I'm good, thanks, mate. How are you? Good, mate. Good. We got there in the end. Um, our final guest tonight um, on the Four Lads of Dream podcast is a Rangers legend. Um, Cup winner's Cup winner in 1972. Three league titles, 74, 75, 75, 76, 77, 78. Five-time Scottish Cup winner, five-times League Cup winner. Over 200 goals for the club. Is a real Rangers legend. I'm delighted to have him with us, Mr Derek Johnston. How are you tonight, sir? I'm absolutely brilliant and an absolute a delight to be on your programme as well. Nice to be here. Derek, let's get right into it. Um, you signed as a schoolboy in 1968 and turned professional in 1970 at just 16. Um, it all happened really quickly for you. You got two goals versus St Johnston shortly thereafter. Um, how much of a thrill was it at such a young age to to make your breakthrough into that Rangers first team and do so well immediately? I think it was every, well, loads of boys' dreams. Certainly it was my dream as a kid, five and six, playing at school. That I wanted to be a professional footballer. You know, I'm, I'm from a, a large family in Dundee. I've got six brothers and, you know, they're all joiners and, and gas fitters and everything else. But I, I only wanted to be a footballer. And I, and I think I, I worked very, very hard at what I did. You know, like everybody else, you would play on a Saturday morning, a Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon. I was just daft on football. And I was fortunate enough when the, the Ranger Scout picked me up and got me signed for Rangers. I was delighted. That was the team, hopefully, that I was going to make my debut with. And and, and it happened at a very, very young age. I, mean, I wasn't long left school uh, when I got the chance. You know, I played a few reserve games. I remember, even as a 15 or 16-year-old kid, I, I was 5 foot 11. I mean, I was a big lad. I wasn't a wee boy at 15. You know, I, I had the physique of a man. And when you're playing centre forward, you know, you, you have to be, you have to look after yourself. And I could do that uh, as a youngster. And, and that's how my play was. And I played a few reserve games. And, and these days, Willie Waddle and Jock Wallace always came and watched the reserves because they wanted to know what was coming through. And at the time, Rangers were going through that period where Celtic, I think they were, they were six in a row or whatever it was. You know, and, and they had to start to do something, you know, to try and win the league again. So they were looking for youngsters that were, were going to be good enough to come through. Unfortunately, in the reserve games, you know, I, I was playing well and I was scoring goals. And I got my chance. You know, I always remember coming into to Ibrox on the Friday and uh, Willie Waddle said to me and Jock Wallace, you're in the squad for tomorrow. I said, that's absolutely fantastic. This this was my dream come true at an early age. And of course, on the Saturday when I got in there, Saturday morning, he told me I was playing, which was unbelievable. And, and it was against Cowden Beef. Uh, they were in the top division at that time. We beat them 5 nothing. And I always remember, I scored, I scored two goals on the day and, and my first goal, I actually stopped. I can remember when I, when I put the ball in my back, I stopped and I looked up in the air and said, this is what I've been dreaming about since I was six years of age, to play professional football and to score a goal. And the moment had arrived. And, and ever since then, it's been fantastic. The 50 years since, I've been a Rangers fan and I absolutely love the club. 
that's amazing to to hear um, just how how it came to you so early and, and your stories regarding that. But it, it continued to happen really quickly for you, Derek. And just again, you're still 16, not uh, long after um, you scored the the goal ahead of, if, if I remember rightly, um, League Cup final, um, uh-huh. Rangers' first trophy in four years. How massive was that for not only yourself but for the club? And to, to launch you properly um, in the eyes of the support and for the club and to start putting the club back to where we needed to be. I think I think you've got to remember as well, as every fan knows and certainly every player knows when, when they go into that ground, you're a winning team. You go to Rangers to win things. You know, second is no use. We all know that. You know, and second in Glasgow is no use. That's why managers get the sack all the time eventually because you've got to start winning things. And we weren't doing it, as you suggested. I hadn't won a trophy for four years, so it's about time they started to win it. And I can always remember the day of the game. As per usual, the newspapers uh, got hold of all the captains of all the other teams in the old first division and asked them who's going to win the cup. And I think, of, I think it was Leagues of 22 then. 21 went for Celtic because they were a team in form and they were a team that were winning things. And there was only one person that went for Rangers. And I believe that person was a Rangers fan and he would never have went for Celtic in the first place anyway. And that was the only reason he went for Rangers. But it was, but it was a massive, massive game. You know, I remember Rangers had bought Colin Steen just a couple of years previous and he was the main striker. But it just, it wasn't working. He was going through a period where it wasn't working for him. And it was a huge gamble, a massive, massive gamble by Jock Wallace and Willie Waddle. I mean, they, they got me in the boot room on the Friday. So look, there's four tickets. He says, uh, bring your family to the game tomorrow because you're going to be playing. I says, well, for a start, I'll need six tickets because I've got six brothers. He's, and I, I can't tell you what he said to me because there was a couple of sweary words in it. But he gave me the tickets, you know, and I've gone there. They had the confidence in me. And I felt, even at a young age, well, if they've got confidence in playing me, I've only played one game for them, then I've got to go out there and try and do the business. I felt a wee bit of pressure when I think about it because, you know, I was, I was taking the place of Colin Steen in a game like that. So it was. It just turned out fantastically well when you walked in that tunnel and there's 106,000 people there. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. You just looked to the left and it was red, white, and blue, and of course green and white on the other side. And it was. I got helped all the way through the game. The, the likes of Greggy and the Sandy Jardins and, and, and Alex McDonalds were all captains at a club, and that's that's what you need. You don't just need one captain when they're on the park. You've got to have two or three. If things are not going right then they help you out or they'll tell you exactly where you're going wrong. And, and as it happened, when we bud got the, the ball in the, the 42nd minute on the right and curled it in, I was fortunate to get of, to get above Billy McNeil and Jim Craig and head the ball in the net. And it was just a fantastic feeling. I didn't know what to do. It was a cup final. I did some daft jig as I was running back to the halfway line. But it, it was just the, the most wonderful feeling you can ever get when you see all your own supporters cheering. You know, and, and, and it was just a wonderful sensation. And, and to win it at the end of it was absolutely tremendous. And the, the pressure was on the management team, you know, to start winning again. And that was a, a League Cup. Yes, it wasn't the League, but it was a League Cup. But it was a trophy. And it was a trophy in the cabinet. And that's what Rangers had to get because they'd been missing trophies for a long time. How did that, um, how did that affect your relationship then with, with other squad members? And you talked about John Gregg and, and Sandy Jardin. What were what were they like with you, even though you were so young, and also Willie Waddle, um, one of the most famous 
iconic people in Rangers history. Did they treat you any differently as a youngster or was it just straight in? You're a foreign team, it doesn't matter what age you are, you get the same treatment as everybody. You know, you know the greatest thing ever in, in, a, in a football club, and, and this can go into junior football or amateur football and professional football, is how you get on in the dressing room. I mean, the banter in dressing rooms, you'll always hear players saying, now, what, do you, what will you miss about the game? You miss the dressing room. Because you've ultimately got 15 to 20 players in that dressing room and everybody's a comedian and everybody's up to the, their own antics. And if, you, if you're if you getting stick from one or two of them and, and you don't hit back you know, with something, then you're, you're going to be left out. So you've got to learn very, very quickly. If people are taking the mic, you've got to try and do the same thing back or you'll be left behind. Never mind the footballing side of it. And, I, and I, from being in the, in the away dressing room at Ibrox, getting changed with the youngsters and, and the reserves, all of a sudden, I was in the, the the first team dressing room, and you know, and I'm in amongst the well, big, the biggest hero for me growing up was John Gregg because he was the captain of Scotland, and I was a big Scotland fan at the time. But when when you seen the Jardins and, and the and the, the Alec McDonalds and people like that, I mean, it was it was just fantastic to be in there. You know, I would listen to what they were saying. I, I, I didn't go in there and all of a sudden start you know hitting them with gags and, and all that sort of stuff. You've got to learn when you go into these places and you listen to everybody. And and I did that and eventually I came out Michelle and and it, and it was wonderful. But you never get treated any differently. I was a first team squad player, even though I'd only played two games. You know, I was a member of that team and, and I was playing in the first team. So you get treated exactly the same as anybody else. I think Big Jock treated Greggy exactly the same way as he treated me. There's no favourites in a dressing room. You've got to be doing a turn for the for the club. And if you're doing well and you're doing what they're telling you to do and, and you're you're doing it to the best of the ability, then everybody's treated exactly the same in that dressing room. During 1971 and 72, um, you moved back to centre-back. How did that come about and how natural was that for you? Because it, it would be unnatural in this day and age for you know a centre-forward to be mm. a striker one week and a defender the other. I'm certainly not thinking that Alfredo Morelos could do it, for example. <laughs> how, how was it for you? Back then, was it a natural thing? Was it something you'd done before? And and how did how did that come about? I'd, I'd never played centre half before. I mean, even at school and from a boys' club as well, I was centre forward, and that was it. But I'd played a few reserve games, and, and there was one game, the, the vital game where I changed was down at Air United. We're playing their reserve team, and I, and I was down there, and I was on the bench because at that time, you know, you had six or seven first teamers or maybe coming back from injury or didn't get a game at the weekend. They still had to get 90 minutes under their belt. So they were the ones that played. And Colin Jackson was just coming back from injury. And he was centre half that night. And after about 15 minutes, the injury came back again and he had to come off. And it was that time Willie Waddle said to me, he says, have you ever played in defence? I says, no. I said, but I'm willing to, to give it a go. I just want to play. He says, well, go on and play at the back. And, and I went to the back and I just, I just found it very easy to play at, at centre half. I mean, because the majority of balls that were coming up then, but, you know, there the were long punts and you were talking like teams like Air United. It was a case of just winning the ball in the air, which all centre halves have to do. If you can't head the ball, then don't be a centre half. It's as simple as that because there's so many balls coming into the box from left and right. You know, you, if you're not going to get your head on it, and, and clear it, then you're going to lose goals. And I, I did the basics at first, and you know I did I did well for the, the, the 65 minutes or so that I was on. And I went into the dressing room, and, and Wooly Waddle says to me, "That was good." He says, "Because we've learned something new about you already, and you're just in the club." 
he said, I, I wouldn't be frightened to play in the first team uh, at centre half. The way you've played there tonight, he says, so that's a bonus for yourself. If you're not going to get a game up front, then you'll get a game at the back. And, that, and that's and I, and I felt great after when he said that to me because you're right, it's, it's two choices you've got because we're a lot of good strikers at that time up front, you know, and, and decent centre halves as well. So it gave me a chance of, of getting a game in defence as well. But it wasn't me. I wasn't the one that said I want to play in defence. I was asked to play there. And I played, and the manager liked what he saw, and, and then that continued throughout my career. So that takes us nicely on to um, Barcelona, obviously 72, the European run. Before we, we kind of talk about the final, um, what was that European run like? Because Rangers beat, you know, they beat some tremendous sides Yeah. Um, on the way. We beat Sporting Lisbon, Torino, Bayern Munich, who at the time were one of the best sides in Europe. Um, also, we had beaten. Reigns. So we're beating French, Portugal, Italy, Germany. You, you wouldn't get a tougher route to a final. What was your, what was your kind of overriding, memorable stories? And did the did the team set out and, and believe that they could win it from get go? Was this was this going to be our year? I, I don't think so. I don't think at first. I mean, I mean, you start out there. You're hopeful that you're going to get through a couple of rounds, and you know, you get a couple of decent teams, and you, you know, and you do yourself proud. But, you know, every, every team that we played leading up to it was either first or second in their own league. You know, so we were playing them, obviously, at their best, these teams. And, you know, as, as we went through it, we, we had two men up front that were absolutely outstanding. And for me, they were the, they were the two that, uh, that won the cup for us, ultimately, and was Colin Steen and Willie Johnston. I know they scored the, goal in the goals in the final, but the work that they did, especially when we, we were away from home, I mean, the two of them ran their hearts out. You know, we got the goals that were needed. We Doddy clipped in me a couple of goals. Willie Henderson clipped in me goals as well. So the goals were coming from from all over the place. But, you know, they were fantastic teams. And, and after the first couple of rounds, we started to get a wee inkling. You know, we could maybe do something here. We could maybe get to a quarterfinal or, or maybe even a semi. Because Greg, Greg always used to tell us about in Nuremberg in 67 when the Rangers went there and they were beaten. You know, by Bayern Munich, won nothing in that final. And he said it was the worst feeling ever. He says, and if we get to this final, we're going to make sure that we actually win it because I don't want to have that same feeling as 67. So as, as we kept going through, we, we were terrible in the league, I have to say, in the Cups. We didn't win anything that year. I don't know if we'd put, in, put all our eggs in the one basket. I don't know. Certainly that, that wouldn't be in our, in our thoughts because we always wanted to, to win a cup back home or, do his, or try and win the league. Anyway, so so the European the European scene was great, and some of the games we played were fantastic. And you're right, Bayern Munich, you know they they had six you know German internationals in their side. I mean they've been they've been the best German side for many many years. When you look at Sepp Meyer in goals, Schwarzenbeck at centre half, Beckenbauer, Breitner, Müller, you know what a side they had, you know, and, and we've we've gone to to Germany. And it was we played in the 1860 stadium because the 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 Olympic stadium was just getting built then, you know. And, and we're drawing each one each way. Man, I just cannot believe we got a draw that night because we were absolutely battered. You know, it, it's, it's it's a record. People people are on record as saying that within 25 minutes of that game in Germany, the 10 outfield players all had a shot at goal, which, which no other team has ever done before in the history of. Of, of football, certainly European football. But we managed somehow to get a 1-1 draw and 
of course, going back to Ibrooks, you know, and winning two nothing, you know, Sandy in the first couple of minutes, and then Parlane with the goal two nothing. I mean, to know that we'd been in a final, the, the feeling was just unbelievable. We then felt we have a chance because most people was, would say that the Germans uh, were, the, were the big favourites, you know, to go through because of the team they had. But uh, we just played so well on the night. And, and the one thing, the one thing that sticks out to me, it, it actually didn't look like a Rangers strip on the night because we had the blue top, we had blue shorts, and we had red and white socks. It just didn't look like a Rangers football team at all. But we went out there, and obviously it was lucky for us because we've gone out and won it. And of course, the final speaks for itself. I mean, I mean, I don't think I would have played had Colin Jackson been fit, then I wouldn't have played. He he got up until the last minute. Uh, he got. Uh, they, they took him out in the afternoon to see if his ankle was going to be all right, and it wasn't. So Davy Smith and I, the first time we'd played together as centre-backs was in that final. And it, and it was just a, a wonderful, wonderful feeling. At 18 years of age, you know, I'd, I'd won three trophies for the club, uh, including the, the European trophy, which is it's, and it's all historic now because no other Rangers team has won that. You know, so that's always going to go down in history. That's why it's remembered every other year by supporters and by the club, because it was just a marvellous occasion. And when you got 30,000 Rangers fans travelling to Barcelona, and when you're driving up there at the, the Camp Nou and, and, and the fans, it was only your fans that were there. There were no Russian fans there at the time. And uh, it, it, it was just a magnificent feeling to have won such a, a trophy like the, the Cup Winners' Cup. And I, th- and I think we stepped up from there. I think the Rangers grew in stature. After after winning that European trophy, I think I think the players all give themselves a lift, and from there onwards in '72, I, th- I think we started to play some decent stuff. And of course, that led to two trebles, you know, in the, in the mid '70s, which was which was fantastic as well. It, it was all good times after that. So, and I think the catalyst to that was winning the Cup Winners' Cup in 1972. Before we go on to to kind of talk about the trebles, which um, obviously was massive for the club. Looking back on, on Barcelona, the actual final itself, what was the pressure like on the club? Because obviously we'd, we'd been there in 67 and you'd mentioned it, John Gregg says that, you know, this wasn't going to happen again, we weren't going to get that feeling. Yeah. What was the termi- determination like in the squad? Obviously it's different from nowadays because you don't have the media, you don't have social media and things like that. Yeah. How was it in terms of, of, of the press in Scotland and, um, and, and for Rangers and, and the guys in the dressing room? How did you, did you? Was there any fear, or was it just a determination? This is it. This is our time. We're going to do this. I don't. I don't think you get fear in football. You should never fear any club, and I don't care who you're playing against. Because I mean, you've heard the old cliche: it's eleven against eleven. Yes, some teams will have better players than you, but it's how you react on the day. You know, and 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 you, you, I didn't feel any pressure. I don't think any of the players felt any pressure. The, the media, you know, for a week before the final, were all. For, for, a, for a change, they were all positive about Rangers thinking, you know, if they play well in, there's no reason why we can't go out there and win it. You know, and, and we had that feeling as well, right from a, probably about the quarterfinals when we thought we had a chance of winning it then. That's when our, our minds were set on, we can get here and we can do something this season. So I didn't, I didn't feel any pressure. I think we went out there and we said to ourselves, look, if we play the way we can, if, if, we, if we Bud and, and Colin Steen are up there and they're doing their job, and be Tommy McLean's getting the balls in for them, and we and the, the midfield can be solid and get the ball and, and get the ball forward, and we can stop their players, you know, having shots at goal at the back. And Big Peter has a great game. There's no reason why we can't go in and win it. So there wasn't any pressure. 
And I think the, the pressure was eased when, when we got the, the third goal and we're 3-0 up. Maybe it eased too much because we get a wee bit uh, lackadaisical then, you know, and they came back into the game with, with two goals. But I never, ever felt that they were going to get a third goal because I think we got to grips after that second goal went and it wasn't all that long to go. And I, I think we all got to grips. That's when Greggy, Sandy and, Al- and Alex McDonald, you know, were getting at the players, you know, getting everybody playing and doing your job. Don't do anything daft. Do the simple thing. So I, we didn't feel pressure. I think it was it's the most wonderful feeling when the referee blew his whistle. Probably for the third time we thought it was it was the final whistle, but he'd blown it for an offside and the fans had come on the pitch. And the, the game lasted, I think, about 98 minutes, all in all, because the game was stopped so many times. But actually, when he, when he did blow for the final whistle, I looked at Greggy and the relief on his face, the lads that had played in, in 67, the smiles on their faces were, were fantastic. And I, and I think they, they, they told us so much about what happened in 67. We were determined to make sure that that wasn't going to happen to the lads that played there. And on the night, we, we thoroughly deserved to win it. And it was a piece of history. And it still is to this day. And uh, they can't take anything away from that 11 players that played in Barcelona. They will be legends for the rest of their life without a shadow of a doubt, and rightly so. Yeah, absolutely. Probably, undoubtedly, the club's finest hour in Barcelona 72. Um, team and 11 are immortalised. I remember as a young boy, one of the first things I was taught was that 11. Um, and I'm sure like many others, uh, Rangers fans, we can name it off by heart. Moving on, um, something you touched on, 74-75, um, um, we've won the Scottish Cup back in 73 as well. It's all building after Barcelona 72, but there was pressure on us to win the league. Um, we go to Easter Road and we manage to get uh, the vital point and the, the league is, is finally ours. What was that like that season? Because it would have been unbelievable pressure because we're going on 10 years without winning it, 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 anything. And what was it like that day to finally stop it and that's it now, we can properly move on and build on the success now as league champions? Well, I think when you start the season, you come in maybe about six or seven weeks before the season starts, obviously for your, for your pre-season training. You know, and Jock used to take us to Galen Sands and everything. The training was very, very hard. But that's what Jock was like. Jock always made sure you were fit for 90 minutes, first and foremost, and your ability came after. No use, no use having all the ability if you weren't fit. That's the way he used to look at things. And he actually said to us at the start of that season, it's about time we started winning this league. We're a good side at that time. You know, we'd recruited well, I think, in, in the mid-70s. And we're, we're a good side. And we all felt that we were good enough to win it. But it was down to us. You know, we had to have the right attitude. That's the one thing you have to have when you put that blue shirt on is the right attitude. If you've not got that, then you've not no chance of winning. Because you know every game you play is a cup final. I mean, that's things that fans know and everybody knows. If you, you go out there, you know, and, and and you're not up for the game, then you're not going to get results because everybody playing against you will be up for it. So if you're not, then you're going to suffer. But I, th- I think the relief uh, after that happens, we, we realised it was in our hands, you know, from uh, a few games from the end of the season. And, and the Hibs game is the big one. And of course, Jock being from Edinburgh as well, he had lots of pals that were, were Hibs fans and Hearts fans and everything else. He went on about that, you know, for a couple of days before it. We've got to win it in Edinburgh. We need to win it here. And when we came out, I, th- I think there were just under 30,000 fans at Easter Road that day. And the majority of them were Rangers fans because I don't think the Hibs fans wanted to come and see Rangers win the league. 
because we were playing well then. And, you know, when Stevie got the header in, you know, it was, it was just a, a fantastic moment where we realised that's us won it. And uh, again, going back into the dressing room, it must have been an hour before we get before we get into the bath because we were just so happy. And Big Jock and, and Willie Waddle, the first time we seen Willie Waddle smile, you know, because we'd won the league because it'd been such a long time in coming. But we realised then we're onto something. We've got a team here, but we've got to build on it. This was one season and it's one league title. We've got to be we've got to be competing for this every year. And that was the message Jock got after the game. Yes, enjoy this, enjoy the, enjoy your holidays and everything else. But when you come back, we're going to be challenging again for the next few years for trophies at this club. More so is the league. You're playing 30 odd games. That's the big one. The cup ones are a bonus. You play half a dozen games and you can win that. The league is always going to be the big one. That's when the consistency comes in. And that's what you rammed down our throats after the game. And uh, it, it was just a wonderful feeling again. And, and and that's what happened. I think that got into the heads of all the players. We then felt that we were good enough you know, to do well for the next few years because we probably, at that time, then had the best players in the league. Derek, that message, obviously, certainly got through to the players because the, the following season, you didn't obviously just go and win the league. You, you managed to win the whole lot. Just keep talk us through that season and... Uh, I guess most famously for that season, the cup final goal that you scored before the kickoff time. <laughs> it was it was an incredible season. I mean, I hadn't been. I think Greggy was the only one that had won a treble in, in the sixties. You know, there were few and far between then trebles. But uh, as I say, we had a side that that was capable of doing that. I think we played some cracking stuff. We we never went anywhere, whether it was home or away, whether it was Aberdeen or Celtic or Hearts or Hibs or wherever. We that we never defended. We played exactly the same way away from home as we did at home. We were an attacking side. Big Jock used to say, "Why do we want to defend when we've got players like you lot that want to go out there and play and score goals?" And we did that, and we, we were just a good side to watch. And, and and the goals then the goals kept coming and defensively were absolutely solid, and you know to to, to do to do the treble was amazing. You know the league again, but I think we won the league comfortably. We've won the league cup, and you're right when you bring that uh, the the Hearts game into it. It was funny because when we're coming down the tunnel, the one good thing I remember about that is Tommy Tommy McLean said to me, "Listen, the first free kick we get, he says, just get yourself into the box." He says, and just make yourself available at the near post. Just a wee dart to the near post. I says, fine. So if, if you remember, the game started, and I, I don't think it was Jim Jeffries that fouled me. It was probably the other centre half that fouled me, about 40 yards out on the right-hand side. And uh, the referee gave the free kick and put it down, and Greggy came up to wee Tam and said to him, look, you go forward and I'll take it. Wee Tam went, no, leave it, leave it. And if you ever watched that game, he's looking for me. He only took two strides. He was only about a yard away from the ball. And he's looking at me and looking at me. And then I just turned and made the run to the near post and he's clipped it in. You know, and I've managed to head it in the corner. Because it was the only chance we would get because they'd be aware they'd be wary of that as the game went on. We'd try to do it again. He says, we'll only get away with this once. And it worked. And we'll get a goal. And the game kicked off, as you rightly say, a minute early for some strange reason. I don't know. So that that is the quickest goal ever scored in a Scottish Cup final because it was scored before three o'clock. But uh, it's amazing. I remember getting interviewed by Arthur Monford after the game. And Arthur saying to me, you know, the first goal was, was sensational there. He says, you must have been practising that all week. 
And I went, oh yes, yes, we've been we've been doing that. Yes, the manager felt like we were good enough to get a goal from set pieces. So yes, we worked very hard on it. You know, my nose was getting bigger every, every second. But that was that was that was Tommy McLean for you. That's why he turns out to be a good manager because he can see things. And he did things on the park. And it was his ball, what wonderful ball it was. It was such an easy header for me when when you're placing the ball where he did. It, it was it was it was harder to miss the chance. It was as simple as that. And then also two years later, you go and win the second treble in three years. How did that one compare to the first one? Was it is it easier to win the second one if there is a, if there ever is such an easy thing to do as win a, a treble? How how did you find that season? And again, from a personal point of view, a really satisfying one. Can, because of the number of goals that he scored, the number of important goals that he scored that year as well. Well, it was it was it was the best season I had uh, in my career. It was 1978, and you know I, I don't think I don't think it was easier to win. It's never easy to win a, a treble, uh, and and you had to really work hard for it because other teams are determined to to not let you win it. You know, if, if the, the, the likes of Celtic and Aberdeen and Hearts and Hibs, they were all teams that were very good. They were always up there challenging for the majority of the season. And there were always hard games away from home. So you never got it easy. You had to work for, for, for results uh, in, in that league. And and once we won the first one, we had the feeling that we could do it again because we had a good start in the league and everything else. And we were up there. The Scottish Cup was just coming around. And there was a great feeling. And you've got to have a good dressing room. And the dressing room at that time was absolutely majestic. You know, you'd seven or eight comedians in that room and everybody was enjoying coming in and everybody enjoyed training. You know, when you're winning things, you always seem to enjoy training better, obviously, than when you've been beaten. And, uh, it, and for me, it was absolutely wonderful. I mean, I scored, I think it was 39 goals I scored all in and I scored two goals for Scotland. So it was 41 goals in that season I scored. And, and to, to win the, the the Football Writers Player of the Year and, and the, the Scottish Professional Footballers Player of the Year. I even won the Shoot Magazines Player of the Year as well. You know, it, it was just one of these seasons that everything went well for me. And uh, yeah, But you can't do it on your own. I mean, I needed the, the Willie Hendersons and, and the Davy Coopers, you know, getting down these wings and getting the ball in the box. You know, and, and they did that, you know, on umpteen occasions. Tommy McLean as well. Didn't matter who the winger was. I needed wingers to get balls in the box to create the chances. I needed the ammunition. And I got plenty of that from them. And uh, that, that was the reason they scored the majority of these goals. It was a wonderful season for, for, for myself, personally. And, of course, Argentina came along in 78 as well. And, and unfortunately, me and Ali McLeod didn't go on that well. And I never played. That's probably the biggest disappointment. I've, I've had in my career actually going to a World Cup but not playing. I mean, it's not as if I, I did anything. I never said anything to him. I didn't do anything but score 41 goals that season. So it's down to the manager. There's no guarantees that you're going to get a game. The manager has his own way of playing. And uh, if he thinks there were better players than you at the time, then he plays them. And to be fair, when you think of the, the strikers that Scotland had at that time with Andy Gray's and Stevie Archibald, you've got Joe Harper, You've got Joe Jordan, you've got Kenny Dalgleish. You know, there was a, a plethora of wonderful strikers in. And obviously he felt that, that, uh, that they were better than myself. So listen, it was his decision. He didn't play me. I was disappointed, but we'd won a treble. And, and that's what it's all about. Domestically, had a fantastic season. The internationals, the World Cup, didn't go down all that well. But 78, I will always remember, certainly, as my best season ever. Also, not long after that, uh, a major change with Jock Wallace leaving John Gregg going in how did you find 
being a player under a guy that you'd also enjoyed so much success with as a as a teammate. How did that dynamic work? It, it was strange at first because obviously, I mean, he was he was one of the players that had the banter in the dressing room, you know, and he was always funny. He was always giving people stick and everything. And all of a sudden, he was boss. So I, I think he maybe felt a wee bit uncomfortable at, at that as well. Uh, but he, he certainly, we all thought that he did have the ability to take over as a manager because he managed us on the park very well. I mean, he's not the, the greatest ranger for nothing. You know, he was a wonderful captain as well, led by example. You know, so somebody like that, you know, you felt was good good enough to be the manager. He knew all the players. You know, he was obviously going to have to change some players because players were coming to the end of their, their careers. You know, and he was going to have to bring in more players. So you got the first tester of, of, of uh, who he was going to bring in, how we were going to do. And uh, I mean, and, and he didn't like anybody calling him John or Greggy. It was boss all the time. And, and, and he, was, he was good for me, to be fair. But after that, I mean, it must have been 81, 82, when, uh, when I was, I had a lot of injuries. And uh, he, took me, he took me aside one day and just said to me, look, I'm trying to build this team again. He says, and you're going to struggle to get in week after week. He says, I, I can't guarantee you a game. He says, so it's, it's maybe better if you leave. And that, that, and that was the first time anybody said anything like that to me. And, uh, you know, I was, I was gutted. But at the end of the day, I realised he had a job to do. And, uh, and he did it. You know, he was there for a few years. He, he did all right. And eventually for him, it, it didn't work out, obviously, in the end which was really, really disappointing for him. But at the end of the day, I always got on well with Greg. I got on well with him now as well. He's in the, the, the Blue Room every home game and we'll have a chat about things. But, you know, there's he, rightly so, he's the greatest ever ranger. And he's a nice man as well. Top man, funny man, knows the game inside out. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, there won't be a, a better Glasgow Rangers servant or player than John Gregg. You mentioned that gay camaraderie that was formed early on when you first went into that Rangers dressing room and something that has continued until today when you still see the, the same old familiar faces. A few more grey hairs amongst you these days, right enough. Obviously, the major one from that group, obviously, sadly, Sandy's no longer with us, but that yeah. camaraderie is something that still means a lot to that group and our guys that achieved so much in Europe and obviously domestically. And it's nice that you still have that they still have that bond all together. Yeah, I mean, it's important that everybody gets on in the dressing room. I know you often read in the papers about, you know, a couple of players fighting and training. That, that happens at every every single club. It happened to us a couple of times in, in the, the 13 years that I was there. But all in all, we, we were a good set of lads. Everybody knew each other. You know, socially, we went, went out together as well. And then it was great on all the little trips when we used to go to Australia and New Zealand at the end of the season for a month at a time. You really got to know players even better then, you know, because you were living in each other's pockets out there. And and I think that's important that you have a good dressing room. If you've got four or five players, and it's hard, the easiest thing in the world are the players, the 11 players that are playing every week. They're not a problem, not a problem at all, because they're getting a game. It's the other ones that are not getting a game that are, that are maybe moaning a wee bit, and and that's when it's up to the the, the John Greggs and the Jardins and the and the wee Doddies to say to me, "Come on, your time will come." You know, this is a team game. It's not just us eleven. It's it's winning for the club. It's the whole squad that matters, and and that's the camaraderie you have to get out of a club. And it doesn't matter what club you're at. If you've got too many people that are fighting with each other, then 
you know, it's never ever going to work for you. And, and you'll find nowadays if that happens, then players will go out the door and new players are coming. It's as simple as that. You have to fit in. Rangers are a massive club. We all know, as I keep saying, you know, second is not good enough for us. When you walk in that door and you play your first game at Ibrox and there's 51,000 people there, they're coming there to see a Rangers team win. They want to see you win. If you don't win, then you nine times out of ten you'll get a wee bit of stick. If you can't handle taking stick from supporters, then don't bother coming to our club because they're very, very passionate and they want to see players passionate as well. And if you're not playing well and obviously you start to hide on the park, they will sort you out. They know exactly what you're doing. So if, if you're a player out there and you're listening to this and you want to join Rangers Football Club, you've got to be able to handle everything that goes off the park as well as on it. Eric, um, what was your favourite Rangers goal um, during your career at the club? Well, it's a, it's a question I'm asked a lot, and it's it's difficult when you score 210 goals to pick out one. I mean, there were there was ones that, that won the game for us that weren't particularly good goals, but they got us the three points. And there's others when I scored great goals, but we were four nothing up at the time, and it was easier to score when you were so far ahead. But there's one there's one that sticks out. In, I could, I could mention all the Celtic ones and the one when I was 16, the header and everything else. But the one that sticks out for me was, and it was with my left foot and it was from about 28 yards. It was at Tynecastle. There was a ball played over the top and I've just run onto it and I've hit it with my left foot and it's gone right in the top left-hand corner. Probably if I had another 99 shots, I probably wouldn't have hit the target. But it went in and uh, it, it was abs- I, just, I just connected with the ball really well the left foot and I went the goalkeeper I think it was Jim Cruikshank it was in goal he never moved it went right in the top corner so I would probably say that was the, the, the best goal I ever scored not the most important one but certainly the best one Derek uh, what is your overriding you know sort of feeling during your career you know um, sort of winning trophies with Rangers what was that like? Well, it was wonderful to win things because that's why you joined the club you joined you joined the club to win cups and, and leagues and do well in Europe that, that's that's an obvious thing and I think you've got to get that winning mentality. That's something that players have got to get when they get to Rangers. Winning mentality. A lot of them maybe have come from clubs that haven't won anything. And they haven't won anything. But you've got to get in the mood as soon as you come through these doors and up that marble staircase, you know, and you sign that form. You've got to be there and you've got to be prepared to work hard and win things. Get that mentality of Glasgow Rangers Football Club. You know, they're winners. They don't want to be runners up at anything. It's no use. So that so that's that's the feeling you get when you get in. I think for me, when I when I look at games and I think what's the game that really stands out? I mean, I, I can mention the Commoners Cup one, but for obvious reasons, it's history. You know, and and, and the Tall Rangers win another European trophy, and hopefully that's sooner rather than later. You know, then we are the only team that's won that. So that's a huge thing. But my first game again, as I mentioned earlier, against Cowdenbeath and actually scoring that goal, that was me playing for Glasgow Rangers, my first game as a professional, and I scored the goal. And that is a massive highlight for me as well. So b- b- between the, and scoring the goal, scoring the goal in the, in the, the League Cup final on the 20th of October 1970 as well, to win it, to win the game when Rangers hadn't won anything for four years. I mean, these three, it's difficult to pick from the three of them. Three of them, for different reasons, I would go for it. It's hard to pick one, so I've picked three. So that's it, you've got three instead of one. So a huge thank you um, to Derek there speaking about his career. I'm sure everybody enjoyed it as much as we did here to have a, a real Rangers legend talking to us. It's been fantastic. 
We're going to talk now to Willie Irwin, who most of you might know as Spaceton Bear on Twitter. He is also runs very successful Rangers Youth Updates, which has got everything, basically all levels of um, our youth sides from I don't know, 15s all the way up. And if there's a game on, basically Willie's at it. So Willie, um, great to have you here. Um, just to start off, what the highlights this season been? What have we won at the various youth levels? I would say at the top of the list, it was one in the under-18 league. I believe at the start of the season, that was the one that they really wanted because it obviously got them into the UEFA Youth League, um, which I think was paramount for the club. Um, out with that, you had the Scottish Youth Cup, which obviously most people will have seen in television when we beat Celtic 3-2. Um, and obviously, probably unknown to some people, was the Cast Cup, which is for the under-16s. Um, that was a terrific um, you know, win for the lads because primarily we did use quite a young group of players. So to actually win the trophy, to beat an Aberdeen team, which was very, very strong, um, was actually really impressive from that group. Um, obviously, out with that, you've got the Alcast Cup, which I'm sure pretty much everybody watched. Um, a really incredible tournament to be involved in, never mind win it. And obviously on the back of winning it, they've now got it for the next three years, which is actually incredible for a club of our size, given where we were only a couple of years ago to now be getting invited back to these kind of events for the next three years is is absolutely massive. And then obviously lastly, it was one in the reserve league there, beating Falkirk in the last game of the season. I don't think it was ever the plan to win the reserve league at the start of the season, but obviously when you get that close to the end of the season, and obviously the opportunity was still there for it to be won. Um, you know, they obviously pushed it and beating Celtic, I would say, was probably the biggest result. If they hadn't beat Celtic, then there was no chance of them winning the league. So to then go and win every hard game after that to win the league was absolutely fantastic from that group of players. Considering we used, I think it was over 50 players, which was one of my mates that brought that up. We used over 50 players in that league. So it's quite incredible amount of players to have played over that league season. It's great to see the, the youths have, have been so successful. Um, obviously, you've been there, you've seen all the players and things like that. Who are the high-profile youths that are leaving? Obviously, we've, we've seen Liam Burt, as said, on social media. Who are the other names that would be instantly recognisable that are leaving the, the youth setup? I think the only ones that's officially been confirmed um, is Kyle Bradley, Liam Burt and Scott Gray. Although I'm pretty sure that Miles Beerman has left the club as well, but given that he was out on loan for most of the season, I'm not too sure if the club will confirm that or not. But also all of those guys were reserve team players. So obviously Kyle played at centre back. Liam kind of obviously in the more advanced kind of attacking areas of the picture wide. Scott playing at full back and Miles playing at full back. I think for some of these lads, it's obviously just. You know, they're getting to that age where they need to go and play competitive first-team football. And, you know, staying at Rangers and possibly playing reserve team football isn't where they need to be. And sometimes for the good of the players' career, it's best to let players go so that they can go and actually play first-team football somewhere else. With that said, um, we've obviously, at this time of the year, there is a lot of trialists that come in. Obviously, um, there's been a, a few kind of high-profile ones that we've read about with social media and things. Who are we looking to bring in and who have we signed up already at youth level? I think the only two that's really been confirmed is Ross McCausland and Lewis McKinnon who are two players from Northern Ireland um, that the club have worked hard to get into 
Rangers, I think out with that, there's always a lot of, you know, sort of trial games are probably going on behind closed doors where they're looking at players that, in a basis that there's certain positions that maybe are a bit lightweight at the moment for the under-18s and the reserves, depending on who's going to be going out and loan next year or who might end up moving into the first team. But officially, other than those two players, I'm not even too sure if the club have obviously confirmed a couple of signings. So you obviously don't want to see anything in case it gets me out of trouble. So I'll just leave that one just in case. <laughs> yeah, it's probably best. Um, given my experience, you don't want to say anything you don't want to. Um, believe me. Um, having been at all the youth games, uh, Willie, this year, I mean, you obviously you travel up and down everywhere at all levels. If you could pick out a couple of boys from the youth level that you're excited about, who would you who would you name and who would you say that you're most excited about? I think when you look at like the under 18s, uh, Josh McCake, I think is is somebody who's got the potential to be a first team footballer at Rangers. Obviously, it's easy to say that. You know, I've been watching the guy a bit more than most, but I think Josh has got incredible ability. He's strong. He's quick. He's technically very good. He can create goals. He can score goals. He's just one of these players who has a wee bit of everything, you know, and I think he is somebody that within a year who could be a first-team squad player, which I think would be a big step for Josh, but I think he's more than capable of doing that. Um, I think in terms of the younger age group, when you look at like the under-16s, I like a, a sort of tenacious tackling midfield player. That's kind of a position that I've always really enjoyed watching over the years. Um, so obviously from that standpoint, I really like young Robbie Fraser, um, who I think is a really smashing midfield player, really competitive. He very rarely gives the ball away. And the thing is, he's not actually the biggest, but he very rarely loses a header. You know, he's just one of these really strong midfield players that I think every team needs because if you don't have somebody that does the dirty work, then it's impossible to get other players in the game. Well, because of how he plays, it allows us to get the ball to guys like um, Alex Lowry or to Aaron Lyle and Adam Mansouri. Or, you know, and that's the difference in a team. If you don't have somebody that can break up the play and get the ball to other players, then you're probably not going to win that many games over this season. And I think that's where Robbie is outstanding at that. Well, one of the things I was thinking about over the last couple of seasons, uh, after a lot of the okay, Twitter Q&As with our YDC guys, um, and spoken to a lot of the youth coaches and the younger boys coming through, and one of the things that's okay, struck me, I obviously don't see as much of them on the park as, as you do, but seeing the guys off the park and speaking to them and interviewing them, they all seem really okay, level-headed and driven and they... I think you know, Craig Mulholland has spoken a lot about creating good people as well as good players and that seems to be something certainly to the guys that I've, I've spoken to that's something that seems to be coming coming through that all, all the guys are are quite switched on there doesn't seem to be any okay, bad eggs in that squad and they all, they all know what they want they all know what they need to do to, to get where they want to be to is that something that you've noticed in getting to know the boys a bit more uh, on a personal level? Yeah, I mean I think I don't get to speak to all the players because well, some players are more private than others. But in terms of the lads that I have spoken to over the period, I find them all to be very down to earth, you know, genuine lads. They just all want to play football. And I think that's the thing that stands out most. When, when you speak to either the players or the parents, the boys just want to play. I think they would probably much rather play every night and every day than train. But obviously, yeah, they've got to develop, they've got to train, they've got to find ways of playing. But I think in general... I've never ever found a player to be cheeky or to be ignorant or anything like that towards anybody. 
I've always found the lads to be quite pleasant. And I think that comes from the coaches. Um, and I would say that about any of the coaches that um, over the last couple of years when I've been going at the games, they've been nothing but helpful to us in terms of sometimes coming over to speak to us or shaking our hands or uh, thank us for coming to some of the games. I mean, we've obviously travelled to a few different places the last couple of years and, you know, the coaches are absolutely fantastic with us, just like the players. And I think that's very much part of the academy that they want players who've got the right attitude and the right mentality. And even if they do leave Rangers, they've got a good footing in their life that once they leave, they can go and get a job and they've got a good education behind them or they can go and play for another team. And I think that's paramount to how they want to bring players through at the academy. I've also seen uh, Nathan Young-Coombs make the move up from Chelsea. And one of the things I was speaking to him about a few, a few weeks ago was the environment and the opportunities that he found when he came up to Rangers as opposed to uh, what he had at Chelsea. And he reckoned that more young guys, maybe at a Chelsea or a Man United or a Man City, because of the lack of opportunities at, at those clubs and how the Premier League's set up, he will be able to attract more guys like that. Is that an avenue you'd like to see Rangers go down a bit more? They obviously have to get the best of what's on their doorstep. Uh, there's a huge untapped market in England for them if they can get the likes of a young Coombs or I say get guys that are perhaps struggling to, to make a breakthrough in the Premier League. I think looking forward, that's definitely a market they'll look to tap into. Somebody like Nathan, I mean, he's he's still only 16. I think he only turned 16 in January and he's already played for the under-18s and he's come on in a reserve game. I'm not so sure he would have done that down at Chelsea and I'm not too sure there's probably that many 16-year-olds that will be playing in a reserve team at that level. I know it's obviously kind of under 23s they use, but I think it's a big step up. But here, because we don't have the biggest of squads in a lot of the age groups, it allows somebody like Nathan to come in and do well for the 18s. Um, and then he ended up playing a couple of reserve games, I believe, at the end of the season. And I think for somebody like him, it, it must be an incredible move for him in terms of the fact that he's now literally one step, maybe two steps away from playing first-team football. Whereas I think at Chelsea... It was probably a lot further down the pecking order. I don't know how far down the line he would be, but I would imagine Chelsea have got a very large squad at most of the levels. I don't know if he would have ever even got a chance. That's obvious. Only he would have known that himself. But the fact that he's come up to the Angels and he's actually done better than what I would have thought, because I don't imagine it's easy to come up to Scotland and get used to a new environment and a new dressing room with new players mid-season. But he's come in and, and done absolutely brilliantly. I have to say that about him. I mean, and he seems like a really nice down-to-earth lad as well. Well, he just uh, finally, for those that, that don't already know, you run um, a fantastic Twitter site, um, obviously updating all the youth results and, and games that are on and things like that. How can we how can we find you on Twitter and what's the best way to get information on the youth games? In terms of Twitter, if you just go onto the, the page and type in RFC Youth Updates, it's just all the one word and it'll bring up my page or also my personal page is Spaced and Bear 2 which I, I generally comment on the games on the personal level on that one whereas with RFC youth updates I generally just put on the start and the loving the substitutes and the goals in terms of the fixtures unfortunately other than the reserve fixtures this year a lot of them aren't freely available um, I don't know if that's something that comes from the SFA, the SPFL, but a lot of the times there's not an exact fixture list for the 18s. There's not really a league table that you can check. A lot of the times, you know, the guys that go to the games with me 
are fortunate enough to find out the results of other games through parents and things like that. And that's really the only reason at times that we know where the club is in the league. I don't know if that's something that's going to change anytime soon, but in terms of that, I try to put the fixtures on whenever I get told them and I'll obviously post them on Twitter so that people can come and watch the games if they wish. But I don't know if that's ever going to change in terms of them making it freely available for others to go and actually find it. Having heard from Derek and having heard from Willie, we can look back now on what's been a really successful month for Rangers since we last had a podcast. Um, Six wins, five clean sheets in that, and a very memorable and, and may I say, very easy um, old firm victory on Sunday. Lots of positives, lots of good performances. Um, Nikola Katic come back in the team, looked fantastic. John Flanagan has been very good at left back. Lots of talking points. Derek, how have you enjoyed um, the recent form of the team and how much did you enjoy Sunday's victory? Well, it has been good, you're right. But the, the, the one thing we have lacked all season is consistency. I mean, you're, you're right, the last six games have played some great stuff. Maybe the only game that was a, a wee bit weak was the second half against Hibs. We seemed to be a wee bit leggy there. But all the, the games that we've played, we've won, them, we've won them comfortably, as you said, and we've looked good because we've got a settled side. I think midfield, the, the engine room is always the place where you look at a club. And, and I think Kamara has been a sensation since he's arrived from Dundee. I think our field is now playing in a, in a different way uh, on the left-hand side and, and getting goals and, and looking the part again. Ryan Jack's been outstanding there in, in midfield. And Katic, right, bringing him back alongside Golson at the back, they've been pretty solid there. Davenir scoring the goals. You're right, it's either Flanagan or Halliday can play there, but Flanagan's the man that's got that just now. And the three up front, you know, pick themselves. Defoe has now got games under his belt and he's looking a lot sharper and he's, we'll play a different way when he plays rather than when Alfredo Morelos plays up front. And, uh, you know, when you look at Ryan Kent, he just he just beats people for fun and he, he's creating, he's doing everything that he would like from a Rangers winger. And, you know, and if it's Candice on the right or whoever plays on the right, we've got nine players now that we can actually say that are going to play. If everybody's fit, we know the nine, at least nine players that are going to play. Maybe we couldn't say that before. But the one thing, you know, Stephen will be absolutely delighted the way the team played on Sunday. And it was the same on the 29th of December when, when we beat them. But it could have been three, four or five, nothing easily because we had the right attitude. We went out with that attitude from the first minute and, and with pace and we closed them down. We did exactly the same there on Sunday. You know, they've had one shot on target and maybe should have scored. You know, with the one chance that they had, we had several chances to score goals. But I think the fans, the way the fans reacted after the game tells you everything. Yes, we've not won the league. We finished a good second. And remember, Aberdeen finished, what was it, six, seven points ahead of us last year. We're now 14 points ahead of them. So 20 points we've made up on them. And some people are saying we've had a poor season. But we need to get that consistency. That's the level that the manager's looking for. That's why he'll be disappointed because he knows when that team plays well and they're at it, they can beat anybody. But we need to do that every game. When you, when you think of the two draws, the first few games of the season, that way at Aberdeen and then away at Motherwell, two goals in the 92nd minute. You know, we get a draw against St. Johnston at Ibrox. We're lucky to get a draw when, when you look back on it because they've hit the bar with 10 minutes to go. You know, we go to Livingston and we're beaten. You know, games we were expected to win. 
you know, and we didn't win them. And and in the end, it's been very, very costly for us. And no other teams can say the same thing. You know, we didn't play well here. We should have got points. But we're not interested in any other teams. I'm talking about Rangers. And we have to get that consistency. If we're going to win leagues and challenge for leagues, we have to have that attitude that we had on Sunday in every game, not just because it's Celtic. We have to have that in every game because every other team's got that against us, as I mentioned before. So we have to make sure the attitude's right. And if the attitude's right with this Rangers team that we've got just now, and then there may well be additions that'll make them even better, then there is going to be a massive challenge next season. Chris, following on from um, something we discussed, and obviously Derek has, has, has said there as well, that we said this last time we were on the podcast about how we, we've kind of stumbled onto a formation after Alfredo's moment of madness at, at Celtic Park. Now that that's progressed a few games further on, is this now the answer? And, and does it affect our position in the summer, whereas you know six, seven, eight games ago we might have said, "Well, we need, we need a lot." Is it now a case of instead of needing a lot, we can stick to this formation and concentrate on quality? The the, the emphasis was always going to be on quality rather than quantity this summer. The, the manager's spoken about it a few times over the last few weeks about the, the key progress that he feels that the team has made and the squad's made, and there's no chance you'll see the same overhaul in terms of numbers this season. I don't know if the plan will have changed that much in terms of what players are required. I think if you'd said six weeks ago what the Rangers need, you'd probably say a centre-half because you'll lose a call in Worrell. Need a left-back because there's doubts over uh, Barisic. Probably need an attacking midfielder and you'll need a striker to replace Morelos if or when he goes and perhaps another wide player. They've also got the two, two wide guys in. If they can do a deal for Kent, that'd be great for them. I don't think that the change in uh, the changing system has altered the, the transfer strategy that much. What it does show is that the squad that is already there is more than capable of uh, performing well and and winning big games. Um, I don't think it will change the manager's plans that much. He'll still be after the same type of players to come in and do the same job, uh, and, it, and there will be that greater emphasis on guys that can come in and improve the team rather than guys that are coming in and padding out the squad like with all respect to some of the guys that came in last last summer it was obvious that they were in effect squad players and not really starting 11 players Stephen is now looking at starting 11 players Willie in terms of, of Sunday's result how big how big do you think that is going forward for next season momentum putting down a marker or Something that Ali McCoy said that he wanted to make sure that Rangers didn't stand still on the back of this result. What do you think this this result means in the, the level of performance going forward? I think the biggest for this season is just to beat Celtic. You know, given some of our results in previous seasons, just to beat Celtic once was a big thing. So he beat them twice at Ibrooks, and then to play so well in the last game at Celtic Park as well. I think we've shown enough this season to say that with some quality additions, as Chris is saying, I don't think we're a million miles away. And I understand that people are saying that maybe at the moment there's no pressure on and it's easy to play, but I don't think you ever have an easy game against Celtic, regardless of you know the time of the season or whenever the game is, etc. I think it's massive for us. 
we need to keep finding ways of winning these games. And as Derek had said earlier, we need to find a level of consistency now. That is the biggest thing for me. We've pretty much been all the teams around us this year, but we've just not done it consistently enough over the course of the season. Derek, looking looking at the recent team selection, um, as you said, there's now maybe nine that we can we can count on, and there's been a lot of talk all year about centre backs. And as a as a, as a ex professional that played centre back, how much do you rate the the Katic Goldson partnership? And do you think that in terms of how Katic is playing the now, yes, he, he's younger. I understand that, but how much do you think it would cost? to go and get somebody that's better than him? And is it more feasible for the club to go, yeah, let's go with them and give them a run and try and get maybe some younger players on and experienced players as backup? What's your opinion on that? Well, we started off with the two of them, did we? At the start of the season, it was it was Goldson and Katic, and then, you know, they, they mixed them up because, they, they, you know, they, they brought in the, the likes of Macaulay as well. But for me, I think that's the two centre-halves. I think I, I was a wee bit worried about the back four at the weekend when we go back to that Celtic game, when you see the likes of Oliver Burke, who's the, one of the quickest strikers I've ever seen in my life. You know, he's six feet two lean and can run. And I saw that right at the start of the second half, if you can remember, he ran down the right, he played in the wide right, went down the wing, and Katic went with him and blocked his shot. So he kept up piecewise with him. And I, I used to think he, he was maybe that wee bit slow. If he, he had a problem, he didn't have an awful lot of pace. But he certainly showed me on Sunday that, that he has got that pace as well. And he's a young man that's, that's been out and he's been hurt because he's not been getting a game. But since he's come back in, he's looked apart for me again. And I think Golson's probably played better as well But when the two of them are playing together. And it's so important that... They, that uh, you get two people that are consistent there, especially for a goalkeeper. If he knows the two centre-halves in front of him, they're going to attack the balls and win 99% of them. That helps his job as well. And so I think I think we do need another centre-half because you're right, Macaulay and Worrell will go in the summer. So we're, 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 we're in a position where we're going to have to get somebody else in. And you're right, you're, if you're wanting anything better than that, you're going to have to spend $5 million plus to get them. But, but I don't think Rangers will pay that sort of money for a, for a centre-half. I think they'll be, this is where Stevens down south and, and the people that he knows is going to help him. You know, and obviously the scouts that we've got as well, John Brown's watching plenty of games these days. He has to bring in a centre-half. I think you've, you've got to give them competition there as well. You can't think that they're the two who are going to play every week. You've got to have somebody breathing down their throats. If they're not doing it, then somebody's coming in. Every team needs that. And, and I think you're right, if Morelis does go, we're, we're certainly needing a, a decent striker there as well. Midfielders, I, I still think, and, and maybe I'm wrong about this, because Steve Davis is doing such a good job in there. I would, before he arrived, I thought we needed a leader in the, in the centre of the park. We, we, we've never really had anybody you know, that can dictate what's going on if something's not going well. The same as I spoke earlier about Greggy and Sandy and Wee Doddy and people like that. You need two or three leaders in a side and when you're not doing it then they're getting in the ears of the players to try and G them up and get them going again I always felt we've lacked somebody like that but since Stephen Davis is coming back into the side I think he does that job pretty well and all of a sudden because he's been doing it I've noticed Ryan Jack's doing a lot more shouting and even Arfield is doing it as well which is a great thing and the more of them that do that the better for me I think Chris is right it's, it's quantity that they need 
We've got enough players that can come and sit on the bench. We need two or three players that are going to be better than what we've got. Because Stephen's now played against all the teams, home and away. He now knows how they play. He now knows the players. He knows the pitches. knows everything about them. And I think he knows next year what he's got to do. Because, make no mistake, he's not come up here to be second best. He's been a winner. Him and Gary McAllister all their lives. They're winners. They want to win. He knows what he needs to make Rangers a win inside. That's why I think two or three quality players will come in in the summer. Well, he just, um, on the, the last game of the season, um, on Sunday, we'd maybe hoped a, a few youngsters that, um, would be involved. Obviously, the Hong Kong Sevens are, are this weekend and the, the the squad for that has just been out. And that included Josh McPeak, somebody we spoke about earlier. There was no Dapo Mabudi. Can you see Dapo or even any other youngsters maybe making the step up for the for the final game of the season on Sunday? I think Dapo is probably the obvious one now, given that Josh is over in Hong Kong. If you'd asked me a couple of days ago, then it, it would have been those two that would have been at the front of my mind to possibly be on the bench. But I would imagine Dapo will be on the bench now come Sunday. And the only reason I say that is I would have thought, given the players that they've taken to Hong Kong, Dapo would have been at the top of that list. So the fact he's not went to that squad would probably suggest that he must be part of the first team squad for Sunday. And I think given the nature of the game, it would be the right time to have him on the bench and possibly give him 10, maybe 15 minutes at the end of the game, if not longer, if, if that's what the manager decides. But I think it is time to start blooding some of the younger players because we need to know if they're going to be good enough to make that step up to progress ahead of next season where they might become part of the first team squad. Chris, everyone's possibly everyone's favourite part of the show is when we, we talk about recent players that have been linked to rumours. Um, obviously, probably the most obvious one in the last couple of weeks and we know that there's definite interest from the club um, and we know that possibly the club are working towards a deal would be George Edmondson um, the Oldham centre half. And, it, and that kind of ties into something we I said earlier about the club. Maybe now looking towards Katic and Goldson as being the obvious partnership with a, a view to Edmondson coming in as, as, as a future prospect, maybe even similar to how they've, they've been with Katic this year. What do you know about George Edmondson and, and what can you tell us about Rangers' interest? Just to go back a wee bit, just on the centre-halves in general, Stephen spoke about that after the after Celtic game, basically saying you have three three centre-halves that are capable of starting games and being first choices in, in whatever combination, and you then have a full centre-half that's uh, either an older, experienced guy that can come in and can lend a bit of advice, or somebody that's a bit younger and a bit raw, they can then learn from the more experienced guys that are there. Obviously, this season, they went down the older experience route in terms of having uh, Gareth McCauley in. It looks like, I, I'd, I'd certainly start with uh, Goldson and, and Katic uh, next season. The interest in, in Edmondson and in Mexer, uh, who obviously uh, we Rangers missed out on uh, last week, suggests that obviously Stephen is looking at both sides of that coin in terms of getting an experienced one in and getting a young up-and-coming one in because it makes her and Edmondson very different profiles in terms of uh, their experiences. Uh, Edmondson, also we know he's, he's been up and he's, he's had a look around the uh, training ground um, but Rangers do face a lot of competition from 
uh, clubs down south for him. There's a couple of teams in January had to be sniff about him. A couple of bids were, were thrown out by uh, by Oldham, um, but they seem to rate him around about the five hundred thousand pound mark. Which, considering the, the interest in him, if Rangers could get him for for five hundred grand on the face of it, it looks a decent bit of business. You don't attract interest from a lot of championship clubs and a lot of fairly big championship clubs as well. Uh, if you don't have something about them. So he's clearly somebody highly rated down south. Whether Rangers can can do a deal for him, who knows? It may come down to the financial side of it. I'd imagine there'll be championship clubs that are willing to, to spend a wee bit more per week on him. But again, you might see the, the Stephen Gerrard effect come into play here. If you can say to somebody, look, you might you might not play every week, but you can come up, you can play for a team that's, that's going to be challenging for for trophies, potentially challenging for a league, potentially playing in uh, European football, and your manager Stephen Gerrard, I would think that's a fairly strong uh, pull for a young player uh, and somebody that's certainly made an impact at Oldham, but is now looking at this summer as being the time where he has to move on and, and go and try something else. So I certainly wouldn't rule Rangers out of the race uh, for Edward Edmondson. Uh, honestly, I think £500,000 is roughly the market where there should be shopping for somebody that's not going to come in and be a first-team stalwart, but certainly somebody that, on the face of it, and from what we know of him, certainly has a lot of potential. Derek, somebody else that the, the club have been linked with um, throughout the course of the season and somebody that we're said to be watching is perhaps somebody that you, you might have seen a bit of, um, young left-back Greg Taylor at Kilmarnock. Yeah. How, how much... What do you, you know about him and, and do you think he would be a good fit for Rangers and, and do you think left-back is a position that we should be looking at given the kind of situation with Borna Barisic, rumours about his future and Gerard clearly not happy with him after the bounce game and things like that. Where do you stand with, with our left-back situation? I don't think that's a priority to be honest because you, you've got Andy Halliday that's filled in there as well. I know he's not left-back but I think him playing in there, he's quite comfortable playing there. I think John Flanagan, as we know, can play either right back or left back. So I, th- I think that I think I don't think that's a priority. I think Taylor's a good player. Don't get me wrong. I think he's a smashing player, and he's he's maybe a wee bit unlucky. But he's not going to get in the Scotland squad, even even when Tierney and Robertson are out. I think he's up there. I think for challenging, you know, to get in that Scotland side, good young player. But again, it, it, it's like what I said earlier. You can have a player it's, it's Kilmarnock, not an awful lot of pressure on him, but can he handle the pressure going to a big club like Rangers? You only know that once they're there. So it would be a wee bit of a gamble. It's all right playing well for a Kilmarnock in front of three, 4,000 fans. Can he do that? You know, in front of every second week, 51,000. So, you know, good player that he is, but obviously Stephen, if he fancies them, they'll, they'll be watching him. As they're doing with all the players maybe they're going to bring in, they'll be watched several times, not just once or twice. John Brown is the chief scout. John will be watching whoever that Stephen wants to, to, to bring in. But John Brown knows a player. I think from his days, he's brought some cracking players. I'm sure it was him that brought Carlos Queller into the club when nobody had thought of him, and John brought him in. So John knows a player. And if he's been asked to go and, and find certain players that play in certain positions, then there's probably nobody better that can bring a player in than John. Chris, coming coming back to you, um, there's obviously there's there's been links on, on social media to the likes of Adam Lalana. Um, even today, it was possible to the other end of the spectrum that we're looking at Joe Aribo of Charlton. Is there anything definite? 
um, and the the horizons. I mean, the the Andre Gray rumor at Watford is 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 back. I know that's a story you you broke a couple of weeks ago. The 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 story goes that the interest is now further on than than it was, and, and we're actually actively in that kind of market. I asked you before about a, a, a sensational signing or a or a headling signing. Would somebody like Andre Gray be that for you? And are we? Do you know if we're any further on and where we are in, in terms of that deal? I think if if you sign MD at the peak of the powers from the Premier League, you need to class that as a fairly as a fairly major signing and a fairly major bit of business from Rangers these days. You might not be coming from a Chelsea or a or a Man United, but to get a to get a Premier League player and someday the other Premier League clubs we certainly be looking at would be a bit of a, a coup if Rangers could pull that one off. Um, again, I have my doubts whether it would actually work in financially if a Rangers, but I think fans will be encouraged that that's the type of market that they are looking at trying to go into. I know a lot of the, the fans were a bit, not upset, but not perhaps get underwhelmed at the, at the Jordan Jones signing getting Jake Hasty in. Also, I'm expecting uh, Greg Stewart to be announced uh, once the season's announced as well. So I can see why those type of names might not light the fire under a lot of fans and why I, I deal for the likes of Andre Gray would. Uh, I wouldn't completely rule that one out. In terms of the Liverpool ones, it's hard to tell. These guys are always going to be linked. I've seen it was uh, Dominic Solanke last year. We've had Lallana, we've had James Milner. Uh, we've also had Lucas, we've had Martin Scustle. The, the Liverpool links naturally will always come up just because of uh, Stephen's connection to the club. I would think if they go back to Liverpool, it will be for an up-and-coming type rather than a, a first-team guy perhaps on the way out. Uh, so there's a, an article on the uh, Liverpool Echo on, on Wednesday uh, basically saying Liverpool could raise £100 million by selling off some of the squad guys that, that valued Ryan Kent about the £12 million mark now if that's what Liverpool are, are looking at for him Rangers aren't in the Ryan Kent race and there's no chance of him coming back so I think that, that maybe tells you that even guys on the fringes of the Liverpool team that have no chance of playing under Jurgen Klopp next year they're still looking at uh, fairly hefty transfer fees for them so I think if, if he's going to go back to Anfield it would be for a Kent type deal on somebody that we might not know that much about, somebody that's needing to be a loan spell, that's having to, to step up a loan. I think that's probably your, your most likely Liverpool deal. Um, but in terms of a statement transfer, if somebody had said to you at this time last year that Jermaine Defoe would be playing for Rangers, not many people would have believed it. So I don't think you can rule out anything in that regard. Finally, gents, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to put you all on the spot and ask you all individually. Um, Willie, we're going to come to you first. Um, what do you think is the, the priority signing? And if you could sign one player in the summer or position-wise, where do you think we really need to strengthen? I still think the number 10, the sort of creative midfield player, has to be the priority. Because far too many times this season, when teams have sat in against us, we've not been able to put them in behind. In terms of the fee, I don't know what the club have got budget-wise, but if you need to spend... Three million or four million pounds on that type of player, and if he's the type of player that can get us over the line in these tight games, then I think that's the kind of business that we need to be looking to do this. Chris, well, he says it's a, a number ten for him. What's what's your um, what's your position that you think we need to fill this summer? 
a few weeks ago, I would have said a, a number 10 as well, but I think the, the change in shape uh, and considering how well Scott Arfield's played in a slightly more advanced role, I think that lessens the requirement for a number 10 slightly. They do still need somebody that's got that wee bit of guile and wee bit of creativity and a bit of spark, something a wee bit different. But I think you're, you're now looking at a number nine, you're looking at a striker. If Morelos goes, you have to find somebody that can score 29, 30 goals a season that, that he has. Jermaine Defoe has been really good in the last few weeks, but at his age, can't be relied on to play week in, week out. Um, so I think that's probably the, the one position where if Rangers are going to spend a bit of money, and again, as Billy was saying, four or five million pounds maybe, the problem is a five million pound striker, what are you actually getting for that? You're, you're having to go perhaps to a level of striker that is untested, unproven. Now you look at Morelos getting him for a million pounds, you don't get a Alfredo Morelos for a million pounds every summer, unfortunately. These guys are, are hard to come by. So I think Rangers will try and lessen that, that risk, if you like, by spending a bit more money on it. Uh, but if, if, if you try and sell Morelos for 12, 15 million, I'd expect them to invest a significant um, a percentage of that in trying to find his replacement. I think that if they can get somebody in to replace Morelos' goals and in terms of the way that he leads the line, I think that could make all the difference for them next season. And finally, um, to our Rangers legend, it's a fitting way to end. Derek, I'm going to ask you the same question. You're the Rangers manager this summer. What position do you think is the immediate necessity to fill? I think, like Chris, it's the centre forward. Morelos looks as if, you know, 90% he's going to go. I think he wants to go. You know, he wants to play in England or wherever. So if he wants to do that, and as Chris says, if, if we're going to get 10, 12 million pounds from then, that's going to help us build the side. But we need a striker. We need a striker who's going to score goals. I know we've got youngsters that have been farmed out. You know, young Rudden's done well at Falkirk, to be fair. We've got Hardy doing quite well at Livingston. We've got these lads. Are they going to get the breakthrough next season? Can he depend on them? You know, only time will tell, but... If Morelos goes, then it's definitely for me. I mean, he, as I said, he probably needs a, another centre-back, maybe another midfielder. But first and foremost, if he goes, then you need the striker because the foe is here for another season. So we, we need another striker. And if he gets injured, who do we throw in? So we, we need to get somebody. And you're right. If we're going to get that sort of money for Morelos, then he's got to be looking at two or three million. I don't think it'll be any more than that. Because remember, if you're paying a player that sort of money, his wages are sky high as well. If you bring somebody in for three or four million, you're another million pound a year in wages for a start, probably more. So I think Stephen's going to have to use all the contacts he's got down south. And remember, let's not forget, they played Liverpool three or four weeks ago, their youth team. I, I was fortunate enough to be Ibrox and watch the game. And I'll tell you what, that Liverpool youth team have got three or four absolutely cracking players which Stephen watched on the day. So don't be surprised. And there was a left winger who was absolutely outstanding. So if we don't get Kent, if he, if Liverpool want to sell him, there's a young lad there who would, who would do a turn up here as well. Well, on that, um, I put myself on the line a wee bit by saying this, but if Ryan Kent doesn't um, come to Rangers next season, I still believe that, that we're at the table and, and things like that with him. Uh, maybe not 12 million like Chris talked about certainly not but if, if there's a loan deal I certainly think we're in with a chance but if Rangers don't get Ryan Kent Ben Woodburn is that left winger that you're referring to I think he scored two that day um, for Liverpool and, and he 
I think he he would be um, a cracking signing. Is is that the one you mean? That's not the one I mean, no. But he played centre forward, you know, in the day. There was there was a winger. He was a tall lad, tall, slim lad, but wonderful footwork. Both feet came in from the left. And I think he scored the goal as well. Looked a really, really good player. Honestly, there was three or four in the side. Woodburn actually didn't have a good game on the day, I didn't think. He was the only name that I knew because he'd obviously played in the first team. But, uh, you know, there are really, really good potential players there. As I say, it wouldn't surprise me if Stephen's looking at one or two of them. Well, fair enough. That shot me down fairly well. So that's good. Um, Chris, you get you figure out who that left winger was and get onto the club immediately. You'll you'll find it in a, an even times near you next week, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and that concludes um, the second episode of the Four Lads Had a Dream podcast. All that's left to do is to thank um, Frankie and Graham from Jersey, especially Graham, who's given up his time to set this up tonight and he also does all our editing. It's a massive thank you to these guys. It just shows you what the, the Rangers family can do um, when they're, they're prepared to help out and these guys do it off their own back and they, it's a massive thank you to them. The Jersey website, pop on there, the forums, there is lots to discuss. Um, you can also There's also a massive summer transfer thread, which, which I'm in and out of quite regularly for the regular gossip and things it's a great way to keep up with what's going on with the club um, also a massive thank you to to Willie with all his youth updates tonight he was fantastic and obviously Chris our, our regular guest and it was great to have a legend like Gary Johnston on he was fantastic um, all that's left to be said is obviously we are well as had a dream we're on Twitter come and find us we're on Instagram there and you'll get everything regular gossip rumours and all the latest and, and most accurate. We, we try and make it the most accurate if we can. So in saying that, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us. All I've got to say until next time is ignore the nonsense, the irrelevant and the noise. <laughs>